Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Blaze Radio Network. And now, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. A couple of recalls to talk about here, just for an FYI. Uh, Reckitt, a UK company, announces recall of 145,000 cans of baby formula over concerns of potential contamination with the same deadly bacteria that caused Abbott to shut down its Michigan factory. Now, the 150,000 cans of baby formula are being recalled over an abundance of caution and concerns that it may have been contaminated with the deadly bacteria. Now, Reckitt, as I said, was based in the UK, and it has voluntarily recalled these, these cans manufactured between August and September, sold across the US, Guam, and Puerto Rico. So the contamination is with the Chronobacher sakazaki. Uh, the bacteria lives in very dry places and sporadically appears as a contaminant in dry foods like formula, powdered milk, and herbal teas. It can lead to deadly complications like sepsis and meningitis when ingested. So just an FYI on your baby formula. Then we have an, an FDA warning. There's glass. Now this this recall is about a month old now. Uh, for those of you listening live, today is the 21st of February, 2023. So this was this was first announced at the end of January, which is weird because I don't remember talking about it. Although we could have, uh, PepsiCo has recalled more than 25,000 cases of Starbucks chilled coffee drink nationwide after glass was found in some of the bottles the u.s food and drug administration said in its notice oh okay uh the voluntary recall of course out of an abundance of caution was initiated at the end of january it covers more than three hundred thousand bottles of the starbucks frappuccino vanilla chilled coffee drink oh Okay, so it's a uh, it's classified by the FDA as a class two recall, which means the product may cause temporary or medically reversible adverse health consequences or where the probability of serious adverse health consequences is remote. Yeah, you're just drinking a little bit of glass. And so shut up about it. Okay. <laughs> So if you are a fan or have purchased and still have chilling in your refrigerator some Starbucks Frappuccino Vanilla Chilled Coffee Drink, you may want to, you know, maybe shake it up a little bit and see if you hear some glass tinkling around in there. So just uh, just a couple of recalls to uh, make you aware of here on this program, Chewing the Fat. <laughs> It is pancake day today. <laughs> Yay! It's the traditional feast. Uh, the traditional feast day before the start of Lent on Ash Wednesday. Hey, that's what Mardi Gras, uh, Fat Tuesday, I mean Enormous Tuesday, and uh, Carnival celebrations are all about to go ahead and 
get your sins out of the way so you can do that 40 days leading up to Easter and be absolved of all your sins that you did before Lent and Easter. And so apparently uh, the bell would ring for people to come to confession and they called that the pancake bell. And that's still rung today. So they would use up all their eggs and fats and embarking on the Lenten fast. So they didn't have that in their, you know, you don't want any of that stuff in your refrigerator. You, it may drive you to sin. Then <laughs> uh, I re- was reminded that it was pancake day because I saw a tweet from at pastor Alex love who reminded me yesterday that today was pancake day because on this day, this is what it says in the tweet, 1,999 years ago, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and nights with only some milk, flour, eggs, lemon juice, icing sugar, butter, melted chocolate, and a modest portable gas oven with a heavy based frying pan. Praise be to you, Jesus. <laughs> So, amen, and enjoy Pancake Day, okay? It's also a day where we have to celebrate uh, the anniversary of the Communist Manifesto published by Karl Marx in 1848. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, man, it's a surprise that the Communist Manifesto was published on Pancake Day. Not really sure if they're related, but let's pretend that they are. We also uh, have uh, the talk of a national divorce going on because uh, Congresswoman uh, or Congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, tweeted, we need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this. From the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous American last policies and it's not american it's from the throats to the democrats traitorous america last policies we are done now divorce is not fun uh you can make this case marjorie congressperson marjorie taylor green but divorce isn't fun and maybe we just stick together for the kids i know sometimes the threat of divorce makes a couple become stronger and maybe that's what we can hope for that just the threat of divorce will strengthen the marriage But you never know, do you? No. And divorce is not fun. Even if it's a friendly divorce, it's still not fun. I don't wish that on anyone. I've been through it. It's not fun at all. So maybe, you know, maybe hopefully this is just a threat of divorce. And it'll bring the couple closer together. So I mentioned yesterday I have uh, the list of America's dirtiest cities. Yay! So you should be proud. Uh, Lawn starter ranked uh, 2023's dirtiest cities in America, following, of course, one of the trashiest times of the year, the winter holiday season. They compared over 150 of the biggest U.S. cities across four categories, including pollution, living conditions, infrastructure, and consumer satisfaction. So the, the top 10 dirtiest cities in America. Maybe we just start at 15. We'll go 15 to number one. 15, Los Angeles, California. 14th is Ontario, California. 13th, Birmingham, Alabama. Number 12, New York, New York. Number 11, Shreveport, Louisiana. 
Number 10, Yonkers, New York, as we get to the top 10 of the dirtiest cities in America. Yonkers is number 10. Oklahoma City is number 9. Fresno, California is number 8. San Antonio, Texas is number 7. Bakersfield, California is number 6. Jersey City, that's in the great state of New Jersey, is number 5. Detroit, Michigan, number four. San Bernardino, California, number three. Another beautiful New Jersey town of Newark is number two. And coming in at number one, the dirtiest city in America. Say it with me now, Houston, Texas. (laughs) Congratulations to Houston, Texas as being number one, the number one dirtiest city in America. Now, there are some other rankings of cities, you know, that I love. Uh, Boise, Idaho, beautiful city. That's 134th, so they're pretty clean. Uh, they're, you know, in the list of 150 plus. Uh, San Francisco is ranked 97th. Ooh, that's a tough one. I feel like that should be a little bit higher. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida is 93rd. Been to Jacksonville, too. I feel like maybe Jacksonville should be up a little higher, too, although... Maybe they've cleaned it up a little bit. It's been a, you know, it's been a few years since I've been to Jacksonville. Uh, Salt Lake City, a beautiful city I love, is 70th. St. Petersburg, Florida, old hometown, 61st. Uh, Austin, Texas is 56th. New Orleans is 54th. I feel like that should be up a little bit higher, too. I've been to that city. Mm. Fort Worth, uh, number 40. Tampa, Florida, uh, you know, the, the mother town, 38th. And Dallas, Texas is 32nd. So, man, I've lived in a lot of these cities. That might say something about the dirtiest cities in America. I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, the best air quality cities, if you, you know, if you're looking to breathe good, you can live at Anchorage, Alaska or Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> uh, the worst air quality is in River. Oh, the worst air quality is all California. Wow. Uh, Riverside, San Bernardino, Fontana, Ontario, Rancho Camonga. Uh, wow, that's pretty incredible. Uh, the worst air quality is in California. Huh. Who would have seen that coming? So the highest tonnage of waste in landfills per 100,000 residents. Cincinnati, Ohio, number one. A lot of trash in Cincinnati. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the list says. Don't look at me. I'm, you, know, I, you know my feelings about Ohio. The lowest tonnage of waste in landfills per, per 100,000 residents. Uh, Mobile, Alabama. Oh, these are all tied. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cities that are all tied for the lowest tonnage of waste in landfills per 100,000 residents. Mobile, Alabama, Tampa, Florida, Honolulu, Hawaii, Cleveland, Ohio, Providence, Rhode Island, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So good for you. I also love the story about uh, cigarette butts. So apparently, uh, cigarette butts are really bad around the world, um, and they're the most littered item across the globe. But some of the uh, Buckeye State, that would be Ohio, uh, some of their biggest cities, that's one of their filthiest problems. So five out of the six Ohio cities uh, we ranked a uh, lawn starter, uh, occupy the top six spots of our share of smokers metric. 
So Cleveland has the highest percentage, 29.1% among the six Ohio cities, while Columbus, one of the cleanest cities overall, at 137, has the lowest, 22.1%. Good for them. Uh, So apparently, uh, every smoker in Ohio litters. I mean, that's... I would say that's probably true. Cigarette butts are a common sight across the state, despite strict litter laws. But smokers don't see cigarette butts as litter. Uh, you know, as a former smoker, I can tell you that throwing a butt down on the ground and putting your foot on it and putting it out, uh, while I, I know it's litter and I know it's bad, and I really attempted as a smoker not to do that. That's why we have ashtrays, but uh, and that's why we have you know that's why we have plant pots. <laughs> <laughs> That's what potted plants are for, is to put cigarette butts into. Geez, duh. Uh, so that's what that's what lakes and rivers are for, is to toss the cigarette butt in. <laughs> I mean, they tell you all the time when there's a fire hazard, uh, when it's uh, you know there's a fire warning out that uh, so dry, don't throw your cigarette butts out the car windows, and that happens a lot around the country. So uh, they also have a problem with residents trying to kick the cigarette habit and kick the uh littering habit with their cigarette butts so i mean if you're a smoker just pay attention with what you do with your cigarette butts okay don't just toss them out there uh willy-nilly and forget about it okay it is litter no seriously (laughs) seriously don't don't look at me it is litter okay just find a find a plant with a nice pot and stick that butt in there You can quote me on that. Find a plant with a nice pot and stick that butt in there. Let's go to the break room. I need something cold to drink desperately. So have you seen the fight between uh, Project Veritas and the board and James O'Keefe? Now, I've met James uh, multiple times. He's okay. I, I got no problem with James or his his uh, posse that travels with him, but uh, he's the founder and CEO, or was the founder and CEO of the uh, Project Veritas, and he's reportedly leaving the company that he founded in 2011. Okay, well, uh, apparently uh, they claim, and this was the original reporting of why they were having a big fight with him and the board of and, and the board of Project Veritas, is that uh, 16 staffers tried to oust him from the leadership of his own company, claiming, among other things, that he was difficult to work for, and once even stole a sandwich, which resulted in a dispute within the board of directors. (laughs) So he was mean. He was mean, and he stole a sandwich that was in the refrigerator, and that was mine. Now, I will say, I'd be a little pissed, too, if it was my sandwich, but what I think that he needs to be ousted as the... The, the CEO and the head of the board of directors? No. Uh, no, I would not. And uh, James will probably land on his feet. Now, he posted like this eight-hour-long video. It was only like 45 minutes or so. It just felt like eight hours about why he was resigning from Project Veritas. And I, I did not make it through the whole thing. However, I will say then Project Veritas uh, released a story talking about, hey, we've got a statement on uh, the board of directors issues that, uh, you know, goes kind of contrary to what Mr. O'Keefe was saying. And according to the uh, board of directors, after an investigative audit report, uh, James was suspended indefinitely pending a resolution. 
Okay. So according to this, and this is, of course, the board fighting back against James O'Keefe, because many people, like me, believe that without James O'Keefe, you don't have Project Veritas. I'm sorry, you just don't. You can call it Project Veritas, but he's the guy. He's the guy that started it. He's the face of it. He's the guy. So, I mean, I, you can try to survive after that, but people are already asking for their money back. And people are claiming that in the last couple of weeks, uh, you were fundraising with the help of James, knowing that you were going to suspend and or kick him off the board and get rid of him. And so they want their money back. We'll see if that actually happens. But according to the board, there was a $14,000 spent on a charter flight to meet someone to fix his boat under the guise of meeting with the donor. $60,000 in losses by putting together dance events such as Project Veritas Experience. Over $150,000 in black cars in the last 18 months. I'm not sure what that actually means thousands of dollars spent on dj and other equipment for personal use hundreds of other acts of personal enormous okay so they want to try to work things out according to this and they've tried uh, every route possible to remedy the issue at hand and begin to take the legally required corrective actions so the big fight at project veritas will be ongoing and both parties will be saying bad things about each other but be sh- for sure this really tarnishes project veritas and it really tarnishes james o'keefe's project veritas so well you know i'm sure james will land on his feet and you know what Project Veritas will probably land on their feet too. Uh huh. But uh, good luck. Good, good luck. I see where people are all wound up at Disney because they want, Disney wants them to come back to the office. No, we don't want to come back to the office. No, no. It could cause long term harm if we come back to the office. 2,300 people signed the petition resisting the mandate to return to the office. <laughs> Tough. Take a hike. We're thinking about laying off people anyway. You can't come back to the office? Take a hike. <laughs> so uh, they want uh, the, the mandate would require employees to return to the office four days a week. How dare Disney expect their employees to come back to the office four days a week? So apparently, uh, I mean, 2,300 workers, you've got uh, signees from ABC, 20th Century Studios, Marvel Studios, Hulu, Pixar, FX, and other Disney-owned businesses that employ over 200,000 people. So, I mean, really, 2,300 people, eh. Uh, They just said they were going to lay off 7,000 people. So you don't want to come back to work? Okay, well, you... Take care then, okay? And according to the people that signed the uh, signed the petition, um, I think everyone has adjusted really well to the flexibility. And uh, I want to remain anonymous though, but I just want to say for, for that to go away suddenly was really scary for a lot of people. <laughs> was it? Was it really scary? All right, all right. I guess, you know, for you it was. We still have more than 30% of workers working remotely uh, since, I mean, that's six times the rate of the people that were working remotely um, before 2019. Yeah, they made us all work from home 
And we all realized, and I get why some of these Disney employees don't want to go back to the office. They like working at home, and they like being able to work in their underwear, and they like it's it's uh, you know it's expensive to have to drive back and forth to work or commute back and forth to work using public transportation, and you have to adjust to you know wearing newer, cleaner clothes, and you have to adjust to eating and spending money on all of that. So you know it's easier just to stay home. I bet, believe me. I got it. And they're talking now. I mean, cities are really struggling. Uh, you know, the big cities, New York, L.A., Washington, they claim to be losing over $4,000 per person every year because they're not coming back into the city. Well, I mean, that's what you get. Uh, you shut everything down. You made everybody stay home. And now a lot of people like it. So if the work is getting done, I'm, you know, obviously they feel like the uh, face-to-face interaction is best. And only four days a week? I mean, that really is not that bad. I mean, the big study that they did in the UK, uh, the four-day work week, and they're not even saying that. They're saying you have to come into the office four days a week. That means you still have to, we're still going to work that fifth or sixth day from the house. You're just not going to be at the office. Uh, but the big study in the UK that on the four-day work week said that uh, uh, most companies said they're not ready to go back to the five-day grind. Okay, so 60 companies, nearly 3,000 employees in the UK participated in the study. Wow, that was, that we talked about this when they first started the study. Okay, so uh, they started a shorter work week from June through December last year. Many companies saw higher revenue and lower staff turnover. 90% of the companies said they would keep the experiment going. Uh, Several already plan to make the change permanent. So that's that's pretty incredible to stick with the four-day work week. And they figured out a way to make it work. So maybe the employees at Disney ought to think about, you know, if they're not going to lay me off, maybe I ought to just come into the office. What do you say? And the cities that uh, are going to have to find a new stream of revenue, uh, some way to create a new stream of revenue that doesn't include the commuting office workers. So maybe, you, you know, maybe lower the price of some living space in your city. And I guess that would happen naturally if things weren't subsidized from the government, right? Uh, people aren't moving in and living there. They would have to drop the prices to you know, go ahead and try to entice people to live there. But the prices are, you know, through the roof because they're subsidized from the government, so they continue to be high. Again, though, like I've said before, what do I know? (laughs) Uh, What do I know? Nothing. That's what I know. You can follow me, uh, knowing nothing, uh, on any of my social media accounts, uh, Twitter, at JeffyJFR. Facebook and Instagram is Jeff Fisher Radio. Uh, you can follow uh, my YouTube channel, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher, which I've got to do something with. Um, no question, I'm going to start doing it. I, I think what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm thinking out loud, you can email me, chewingthefatattheblaze.com. Let me know if you, you know, any uh, ideas that you have or if you like this idea. But every day I have so many stories that I want to talk, talk to you about, and I, we just don't have the time. I mean, I could do a, you know, a, I, I just I, tr- I try to pick and choose some of the ones that make me smile, make me happy happy, make me mad, whatever, make me happy, but I have so many stories. So maybe I'm going to do like a YouTube live leftovers show every day for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, stuff that don't make it to the show, stuff that don't, yeah, stuff that don't, 
or doesn't or stuff that I just don't do on this show. <laughs> Let me do that as a YouTube live show. Uh, but you know, anyway, you can, you can follow me there. You can cameo, you can request a cameo from me. That's not free. Uh, at Jeffy JFR on cameo, you know, I'm happy, sad, mean, glad, whatever you'd like for your cameo to whomever you'd like. Uh, I'll do that for you, you know, for the price. Uh, also on Facebook, just as a side note, I've been seeing this picture and this and I guess it's a meme, but it's driving me insane because it's making the rounds now. It's been making the rounds for a week or so now. And it's uh, a picture of What's-His-Face from MTV, the video disc jockey, the VJs. And the picture is of Mark Goodman, who was one of the original VJs, not Martha Quinn, although Martha was part of it too. Anyway, the picture is of... What's his face? Mark Goodman sitting on the desk like he was always uh, there promoting the video. And we remember that MTV debuted uh, just after midnight on August 1st, 1981 uh, with the broadcast of Video Killed the Radio Star by the by the Buggles. And uh, it's not as the Buggles. Yeah, by the Buggles. And uh, so and it you know, that was the launch of MTV music television. So the the picture is of Mark sitting at the desk and it's talking about uh, MTV debut date is closer to Pearl Harbor than today. And, you know, that is just another way to make you feel old and see how long ago that actually was. I mean, it debuted in 1981. Pearl Harbor was what, December 7th, 1941. So that was uh, that would have been 40 years from uh the from uh from the launch date and today is the 21st of february 2023 which is what 42 years from the launch date of mtv so the debut date is closer to pearl harbor than today and it just stops stop sending it to me stop putting on a timeline i don't want to see it anymore okay just stop it at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson-Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org chosen. So who died today? Who died today? I'm watching uh, Criminal Minds Evolution. It's ended. I've watched uh, all the episodes now on Paramount+. Plus. And at the end of the final episode, it says in loving memory or whatever they said to Harry Bing. And I'm like, well, okay, so who is Harry Bing? So I look it up. And Harry Bing was a producer, co-producer, executive producer, 
on a lot of Criminal Minds shows, all right? So he died back in 2021 at the age of 77, but he was a huge part of the show. He um, had a, he was executive producer or co-executive producer on 186 episodes between 2011 and the series ended 2020. He also worked as an assistant director on Melrose Place, Northern Exposure, Max Headroom. He was born in L.A. in 1943. So uh, he was a big part of Criminal Minds. And so he, uh, he passed away at the age of 77 on uh, February 19th um in 2021 so well he died on february 16th it was announced on the 19th that he passed away and that was worth uh in loving memory of harry bing at the end of criminal minds evolution the first season of evolution wasn't bad Uh, i enjoyed it on paramount plus it's already been re-upped for season two and uh you know it was worth it i love the whole idea of the uh network of serial killers i don't spoil it for you but uh, as well, it's already out. It's done. Okay, Paramount Plus. You can watch all ten episodes. Get over it. <laughs> but it was uh, it was good, and I loved the Criminal Minds from the very beginning. Uh, anyway, it was a great show. I loved the BAU, and I see where my man. Speaking of the BAU, really the founder of the BAU, John Douglas, is doing a master class. And I, I would love to talk to him. If you know John, I've been trying to reach out to him and he has not responded. I know, big surprise. Uh, I love John. I've talked to him about his other books, writer of Mindhunter and Behind the Show on Netflix and The Killer Across the Table and The Cases That Haunt Us. The interviews are available on Chewing the Fat here. I've talked to him multiple times. Well, he's doing a master class now. And his master class is on uh, profiling. And so it's uh, John Douglas, and it's this is my master class. And he's teaching a master class on profiling. That would, that would almost is enough to make me sign up for master class. And I may have to, <laughs> because I love John and I love criminal profiling. So we may just have to break down and get the master class. But I definitely want to talk to him about his class and some of the things that he's teaching. And I'm sure some of the things he's teaching is exactly what he talks about in his books and his shows. So if you know John, uh, tell him, hey, return my call. What's going on? All right, profile that, John. So anyway, Harry Bring, who I think I've been calling Bing, so I apologize for that. His name is Bring. Apologize, Harry. Uh, is dead at the age of 71. Harry Bring, B-R-I-N-G. Also, uh, who died today? Uh, Red McCombs, a San Antonio business and Spurs icon, uh, died at the age of 95 years of age. According to his friends and people who know the history of San Antonio and uh, B.J. Red McCombs, uh, he was probably the most significant San Antonian of the 20th century. His impact uh, on the city of San Antonio from the Hemisphere in 68 to bringing the Spurs to the town was immeasurable. And I did enjoy how he uh, how he called himself uh, B.J. Red McCombs, a self-described car peddler. <laughs> who built an empire that included auto dealerships, communications, sports teams, oil and gas exploration, real estate, and ranching. B.J. Red McCombs, rest in peace, dead at the age of 95. 
Also, who died today? A, uh, a man named Jasper Krause, of unknown age, in Ireland, uh, it has been uh, killed by killed because he was attacked by a Brahma chicken that was moved to his property after it had attacked a child. Maybe we should have put this thing down. Uh, okay, so apparently. Um, Kraus was on the ground in the kitchen in a pool of blood with a wound on the back of one of his legs. One of his tenants uh, told his daughter what happened. They arrived at the house. She saw blood on the floor. Paramedics performing CPR. Kraus had a puncture wound on his left leg and a trail of blood from the house to a chicken coop outside. So they realized the chicken must have caused her father's death. Okay, she suspected it was the chicken with blood on its claws because it had attacked her own daughter previously. Yeah, you think? You think the chicken has got blood on his claws for no reason? Just just happened to be there? <laughs> you can't interview the chicken. What happened? I just walked in. He was already bleeding. That's why and I stepped in the blood, but I got out of there as fast as I could because I knew you thought I was the one that would do it. <laughs> yeah, that's because you did do it. Okay. <laughs> now the daughter, I don't know. They don't talk about putting the rooster down. Now I, that rooster would already be gone as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I would have called the old Brahma chicken over here for just a second and said, here, little Brahma chicken, come here. And that would be the end of the old Brahma chicken. However, uh, the daughter is more upset because she has not gotten any help from the government to clean the place up. So he was ultimately pronounced dead after 25 minutes of CPR and they, the paramedics took him, but he was already uh, considered dead. But uh, the daughter said, hey, uh, there should be support for people in this type of situation when it comes to cleaning up the blood. So she added that if it were murder, there would be help to clean it up. So she's pissed that she <laughs> has to do it on her own or pay someone herself out of her own pocket to clean up the blood because it's not murder it's just death by what they're calling as misadventure or an accident so she doesn't get any help sorry about it and according to the tenant this Corey O'Keefe who found Krauss in the house <laughs> said that the last thing that Kraus said was rooster so we know that uh, he's guilty okay it was a deathbed or death kitchen floor confession so rest in peace Jasper Kraus of unknown age in Ireland <laughs> So I have to talk about this. It is just incredible to me. And I've been thinking about it for days. And so I've just I've got to get it off my chest to you. Okay. So if you follow me on Twitter, uh, at JeffyJFR or Facebook, Jeff Fisher Radio, you saw I posted last week uh, a link for Deanna Dykeman, a photographer. And she has a show and a book called Leaving and Waving. And on her website... 
it talks about, this is her explanation of the show. For 27 years, I took photographs as I waved goodbye and drove away from visiting my parents at their home in Sioux City, Sioux City, Iowa. I started in 1991 with a quick snapshot, and I continued taking photographs with each departure. And I'm going to try to get through this without actually, <laughs> without actually crying, because it's just, it brought back so many memories. It started in 1991 with a quick snapshot, and I continued taking photographs with each departure. I never set out to make this series. I just took these photographs as a way to deal with the sadness of leaving. It gradually turned into our goodbye ritual. It seemed natural to keep the camera busy because I had been taking pictures every day while I was there. These photographs are part of a larger body of work I call Relative Moments which has chronicled the lives of my parents and other relatives since 1986. When I discovered the series of accumulated leaving and waiting photographs, I found a story about family aging and the sorrow of saying goodbye. In 2009, there's a photograph where my father is no longer there. He passed away a few days after his 91st birthday. My mother continued to wave goodbye to me. Her face became more forlorn with my departures. In 2017, my mother had to move to assisted living. For a few months, I photographed the goodbyes from her apartment door. In October of 2017, she passed away. When I left after her funeral, I took one more photograph of the empty driveway. For the first time in my life, no one was waving back at me. The show that she has is about 90 photos. Uh, the book, I'm sure, is uh, so many more photos. But the pictures for the show are awesome with mom and dad waving goodbye. And it brought back so many memories of waving goodbye from my grandparents to my folks. I wish I had done this. What a genius idea this is. We've all had pictures, you know, where people take the same shot at the same time every day. And you see the differences that happen throughout time, you know, for as years go by. But uh, this was just incredible. Sometimes a great idea just falls in your lap. And she's just taking pictures of her parents. And I'm looking at all these pictures, seeing my parents, not really seeing her parents. And just amazing work. So you can check it out at DeannaDykeman.com. It's, uh, it's amazing. I know that's not what this show is supposed to be about. <laughs> but it just I've been thinking about it for days. And it's just awesome work by Deanna Dykeman. And it's awesome to look at that and have the memories. And uh, her, seeing all your memories through her memories. So just go and... Enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, and uh, know that those moments are special. It'd be nice. I would love to have a picture of my grandfather uh, waving goodbye to us when we were kids and, you know, using the lines that I still use today. You know, with, uh, <laughs> keep your hat on so I know you. Or back up till you hear a crash. <laughs> then hit her again. Those are a couple, you know, I would love to have a picture of my grandfather waving goodbye, knowing that he was saying that when he was saying that. But, you know. I know that that's not what this chewing the fat is supposed to be about. So I'll stop. Okay. Back off me. Maybe one of those pictures will show that, uh, you know, someone in your family still had one of the original iPhones and you could sell it for a bunch of money. They just sold or auctioned off a, uh, first 
iPhone, first generation iPhone, for $63,356. Now, it was sealed in its packaging because, according to the paperwork, the owner didn't want to switch to AT&T back when it was the only network the phone could be used on. So, you know, maybe if you've got an old iPhone out there that's still in a box and it hadn't been used, first generation... You could probably still get some cash for it, which, uh, you know, would be pretty sweet. 63 grand? Uh, that's pretty sweet. I mean, I, that's about what they're getting for the new iPhones uh, 16.4, isn't it? <laughs> I know they're adding all their new emojis with their shaking face and pink hearts and two pushing hands and their little, you know, new animals and all kinds of hair picks and and they got all that stuff going on for the new emojis. So I think that's what they're getting now for the new iOS 16.4 is right around $63,356. I could be wrong. and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.